0: Hi there, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake here with Tony Greer, editor of The Morning Navigator. Hi, Tony.
2: Maggie, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing all right. You know, it's funny that today's almost a mirror opposite of what we saw yesterday, right? We have a rebound across the board in U.S. equities, uh, the VIX down, oil up, the 10 year yield finally creeping up at about 1.48. It's really almost the exact opposite. What what did you make of the market action? I mean, does it feel constructive to you?
2: Yeah, today is finally, um, you know, for the first time since we broke through the 4,700 flat top in the S&P after the FOMC meeting. I forgot what day it was, but we broke out up to about 4,740. Markets couldn't have looked better. And then we went into a series of donkey price action sessions. Um, you know, and that's what I call when you know you're you know you're kind of playing things from the bull side like me. You get excited that you've got a breakout new high coming, looking like we're about to extend through to forty eight hundred. And next thing you know, everything you know kind of gets crushed. We've got Omicron variant fears. You know, we had a steep bond market rally yesterday. Um, what happened to me? It looks like it's just part of the ebb and flow of this bull market, Maggie. Quite honestly. Um, we're obviously having a little bit of friction here um pivoting into a tightening cycle of some sort by the Federal Reserve which seems quite rational finally you know to deal with the you know a lot of the commodity inflation that we're seeing and I think that's going to be I, I think the price action today is really constructive you know I was saying to my clients last week we saw a lot of selling and we saw a couple of tick index prints that weren't really extreme in nature so it was kind of smooth, orderly selling last week, and then we came out yesterday, and everybody had to be out of the stock market, you know, from from news over the weekend, from a potential, you know, Omicron scare, et cetera, et cetera, and we got that 1,800 tick index extreme yesterday on the downside. Now, to me, that might have been the culmination, like the finally that was the real sell-off that the market needed to get out from under it. Um, And all we did, if you look at the S&P, we broke down below the 50-day for a session. We got close to the 100-day moving average down at the lows, never touched it. And today, you you look around and you say, okay, the market's going to be okay with what Powell is going to do. We're going to rally a little bit here behind the huge natural resources rally today. Um, Base metals are very quietly crawling away from support levels. Today, the XME, industrial metals and mining, are up 4% looking like they're going to stage another attempt at rallying. So today, Maggie, to me, is a um, typical story of what I think we're going to see looking forward in the stock market, where natural resources are just going to bubble up to the top when sort of the market sellers least expected and the de-riskers least expected and the stock market bears least expected. And next thing you know, you're going to have aluminum breaking back up above moving average resistance and rallying. 3% like we saw today. And some of the aluminum names like century aluminum, Alcoa, and industrial metals and mining having a really good day behind that. So I think that this is sort of part and parcel of uh, maybe it's shades of next year where the markets can be sort of sideways, but we're going to see strength in natural resources and things like that. So it's kind of taken on a very A different type of rotation look here to me going forward, but I still think that we're in secular bull market run territory and everything looks just fine. So
0: that's what you I want to ask you about the the natural resources in a, in a minute but if we stay on the S&P um 500 it does feel you know you know the year to date gains are still good on on a lot of this right but if you look at the short term you can see why there's been some anxiety and I think we have a a shorter term chart up and you know you've got these ups and downs and if just just over the last week i mean the, the swings feel uh that they felt pretty um, significant, uh, you know, um, so do you feel like if if we're still in that bull mode, can we can we push back or above those record highs? I mean, what does the conviction feel like to you, or is it just too early to tell because we are going into next year with a lot of unknowns,
2: yeah, you know to me, I, I agree with that one hundred percent. I think next year is going to be um very rocky for the stock market. I was saying to my clients this morning, I think we had three episodes of the VIX into the 30s this year. And if I was a betting man, which I am, I would say that we'll have more than that next year. Mm-hmm. I, I still feel like there is a lot of uncertainty, even after the president today. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty looking ahead into the new year, mostly with how the Fed is going to try to you know, get right suited for the amount of inflation that we're seeing now and sort of get control of the markets. But I think that everything is going fine, Maggie. You know, hearing three rate, cut, rate hikes, excuse me, next year out of an FOMC is certainly going to make portfolio managers adjust, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's something that should slow down maybe the commodity rally a little bit. Maybe it takes a little bit of air out of, um, you know, the energy rallies, et cetera, et cetera, that we're seeing but we're going to see fundamental strength bubble up underneath the commodity markets like we've seen all year. So I think that's something where we'll see basic materials and miners and energy drive markets next year. And if we manage to have a bond market that can stay in this range in terms of yields and not have too many you know, big, rate, uh, big rallies in yields to contend with, then I think technology can go along for the ride, and we have a really smooth year on the upside. If rates continue to press the upper bounds because of the inflation that we're seeing and the Fed's got to constantly be taming things, then I think the market's going to struggle quite a bit. So, you know, it's um, it, it's going to be difficult. December is always a nightmare month for me to try to figure out how to trade, and this month was, this December was no different. You know, I, I literally got my face Burned, you know, buying that post-FOMC rally, um, and had to hold on quite tightly. Be honest with mm-hmm. you, over the last couple of days, um, but I refuse to get out at the moment because there's no, there's been no breakdown, right? We've seen Omicron scare over Thanksgiving weekend. There was no breakdown. There was a pullback. We had an FOMC meeting that we talked about rate hikes and tapering, and we saw an adjustment, but we saw no breakdown. So for me, I, I mean, I haven't got a single reason. I haven't come up with a single reason to give up on being bullish the stock market. Just understanding that the rotation that I think we're in for could be pretty dramatic, and I don't know what direction it's going to shake out for the S and P, if that's yeah. fair to say.
0: Yeah, you know, I, when I heard you say it, the VIX could could hit above thirty, you know, uh, more times this year, when there's volatility, it it it's, it can be good, right? There, I mean, there can be a lot of opportunity in there. Yeah.
2: Yeah, this was a great year, Matt. If you look back on it, you know the 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 S and P in 2020. You know, it's up 20-something percent. Historically, that's a great year. I look at the chart. I see that it went from the bottom left-hand side of my screen to the top right-hand side of my screen. I check my P and L. I'm a good bull market trader. Things went okay this year. The market didn't break down at all. We had those volatile episodes, like you said, where if we stuck to our plan and woke up bullish and decided as traders that breakouts win. And as scary as they are sometimes, you got to trade the breakouts and trade the right risk reward. This was a pretty fantastic year, Maggie. If we did this for the next 10, I'd be sitting pretty.
0: (laughs) I think a lot of people would love to see that. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N com.
0: Welcome back to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Let's jump back in and hear the day's top analysis. Right. I- Tony, how do you, how closely are you watching? So, so you had a good year. We know from reports, if they're true, um, that not all hedge funds did. A lot of people got caught up with the bond market, had some short-term bets that didn't go their way. How closely are you watching that? Because we did see that yield curve start to steepen. A few of the guests we had on had been saying, listen, it's really flat. I don't like how flat it looks, but I'm thinking there's a lag and that we will start to see it steepen. So I know that's something that they're they're watching for next year. How important is it for you, especially in relation to some of the other trades you're making?
2: Great question, Maggie. I am very much, mm-hmm. I have become a lot more of a spectator in the bond market than a trader, mm-hmm. to be totally honest with you. You know, I, I like to, I, I love watching rates trade and treasury bonds trade, but I like to use them as a barometer and to tell me that, oh, OK, that's going to be good for this sector. This sector might struggle. For example, when we saw the yield curve flatten dramatically in the last several weeks, it was pretty obvious that financials, for example, Mm -hmm. XLF was churning at this high price that it had gotten to. There was a lot of distribution, there was stock changing hands, volume trading in financials. And you look up at the end of the day and they didn't go anywhere. And you're like, wow, this maybe this is telling me something. And so when the financials turned over and kind of broke down a little bit below moving averages, Goldman Sachs broke down, Morgan Stanley finally cracked off of its highs. You know, you can look at the chart and say, ah, you know, that was very intuitive that, you know, the yield curve flattened quite a bit and financials went from rally mode to stuck in the mud mode. You know, so I think that that the yield curve plays more into the rotation, if I may, and I'm not claiming that this is 100% correct. For me, it plays more into how the rotation is going to go than, whether or not the bull market is still intact, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm hinging on, really, if, as long as the break even five year and 10 year are still upward sloping, despite the volatility that we just saw, as long as those kinds of trades are still in shape, I know that we've got this inflation trade by the tail and that the commodities are gonna continue to bubble up underneath.
0: Yeah, we we actually uh, have a question that's related to that. It's a two-parter. I'm just gonna ask the first part first though. Um, He's saying, uh, actually, this is she, Angela, saying, hi, Tony, if commodities have peaked, and infl- which you can tell us whether that's, you think that's true, and inflation has peaked, again, let us know whether you think that's true, um, as we move into a disinflationary period in Q1, let's just ask, do you think that's true? Have have both of those peaked?
2: Um, I think we should ask the people in the Netherlands if inflation has peaked, because they're currently paying €170 euro Per megawatt hour, um, you know, and and that's how they're they're quoting their uh, natural gas over there. Over here, we're quoting it in British thermal units. Mm. But the story is that you know there's not enough supply for Europeans to keep warm this summer. You know, their their they're, um, their inventories are at historically low levels. They're depending on the Nord Stream two pipeline from Putin. They're facing pushback from the environmental agencies. And it's not going to be a pretty scene there over the summer. Excuse me, over the winter. You know, energy prices have got power generation behind them and natural gas, and I think that's what's fueling the rally in Europe. It spills over a little bit here to the U.S., where sort of by proxy, natural gas won't sell off as long as that's going on over there. Even though we really can't directly export LNG to the Europeans, um, that's one of the stories in the commodity market that's not going to go away. And that's why, you know, it, it's still, in fact, going vertical. The price of, of Netherlands natural gas is still going vertical, and we haven't gotten to winter yet. Right? Yeah. And I think that needs to dawn on a lot of people that we're not sitting here in minus five degrees with the windshield factor just yet trying to heat your home, you know, several degrees warmer than that. So when we get to that situation, I, I shudder to think about what people would be willing to pay for power generation therefore natural gas, therefore we may reignite a nuclear conversation at some point. So that's just a natural gas problem. I understand that. You know, in the fossil fuel world over here, we just had a little bit of a dip in the markets and we come back 72-bit in WTI crude oil, Mm -hmm. right? Even after the Omicron scare, the smart investment banks, in my opinion, they were smart. They came out with very bullish stories in oil saying, you know, we understand there's a dip on the screen today. We get it but the story really paints a picture of bullish price action to follow. These guys are putting Brent targets up in the hundreds because they know that the supply is tight, the backwardation is there in the curve, and people are still going to be buying oil, you know, at, at, as long as we have this recovery um, economic sort of movement in motion and we're not locking anybody down. So I'm not a believer that inflation is done um, I, I do see a lot, a lot of bullish stories in the commodity complex and even across the base metal complex. And then, if we're talking about bullish energy and bullish base metals, it's hard to be bearish grains if energy and metals and fertilizer and ammonia prices are going through the roof because they're going to need that to pull the grain out of the ground and we're going to pay for it. So, you know, I. I I think that we're really in the first or second or first couple of innings of the inflation trade, and I, I don't mean to t- to tell Angie that she's wrong um, and that inflation is going to continue. But maybe I can urge her to open her mind and listen to some more people like Grant Williams, who have been, you know, bringing people on that are kind of, you know, just just making you think about your portfolio and yeah. if it will do as well in periods of inflation.
0: Yeah, and I th- I think she's she's asking if they've peaked. So I think she is also you know trying trying to figure this out. And so that's a great that's a great sort of framework I think to think about it. There's another piece to that I'll get to in a second. But just to f- pick up on something you just said, so do you agree with those forecasts? I think Goldman was at least one of them that came out and talked about a hundred dollar barrel of oil. Does that seem feasible?
2: Yeah, Bank of America as well. Um, They're watching very closely that managing the price of oil is about how much excess capacity Saudi Arabia has and OPEC has. And part of the Bank of America report that came out that was so bullish, Brent said quite clearly that they think that Saudis uh, Saudis are going to have maybe 2 million barrels per day of extra spare capacity, which is down from 4.5 to 5 million barrels a day. So that sort of puts a little bit of a clutch on their ability to control the markets. Mm. You know, I, I have a feeling that um, as long as we head into this this natural gas issue, it's going to attach itself to a fossil fuel issue. And the energy complex is going to sort of go up in unison because people that can't buy natural gas are going to go ahead and buy jet fuel, oil. They're going to buy something in the energy complex to have this exposure. And even though they may not go chase natural gas, they're going to buy something because the picture continues to represent itself as a bullish picture with falling inventories and a tight market.
0: Thomas is asking, uh, Saxo says global credit impulse is turning negative. Does this imperil commodities and other inflation trades? Um, I think it's speaking to the demand side of the equation, if I understand them correctly.
2: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I didn't hear the question that perfectly, Maggie. I'm not sure what that was.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I think he's referring to something. Uh, global credit impulse is turning negative. Does that imperil commodities and other inflation trades?
2: I don't know what that means, global. Yeah. Credit well, impulses.
0: let me let me phrase it a different way. I'm not sure if I'm if I'm going to paraphrase this correctly, but there are people. anytime you're looking at uh, you know, some of these um, energy prices stay really high, then there's always a question of what does it do to economic demand, right? Do, do the prices get high enough that they kill off demand? How, how much of the pricing that we're seeing, especially in oil, is going to be dictated by demand? And how much is it, it related to these um, supply issues and, you know, the sort of underinvestment that they've seen and, and all these other themes that you and so many others have been talking about kind of coming home to roost right now?
2: Yeah, you know, before the week of Thanksgiving, we saw a world record gasoline demand data point, you know, and I thought that that was really interesting. It gave us the credit, it gave us the confidence to buy the dip into the Omicron scare over Thanksgiving weekend. Um of course, oil got hit again with the, um, you know, the FOM post FOMC de-risking and then it bounced back um $7 off of the lows. So, I guess I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't see us being at a point here with $4 gas in the US and, and seven euro um overseas as being a point where people aren't going to use their car. You know what I mean? I think that the point, the price point is much higher here in the US. And now that inflation is getting socialized, I saw a stat today where, you know, the, the average grocery bill that was $113 is now $144. And so while that is a Tremendous, tremendous percent increase. It's kind of a silent killer right now, mm-hmm. right? Where people are like, okay, I, you know, I'll get the wallet out for this. It hurts a little bit. It's gonna take away from my, you know, discretionary spending. But I mean, I'm got gotta go to the grocery store, to the gas station, um, you know, to whichever store on the way home. And that's not slowing anybody down, I don't think, just yet. So mm-hmm. I still think that we can get to a point where we get actual sticker shock. And I don't think that we're there until you get to five, north of 5 or $6 gasoline here in the U.S. And um, I think once it becomes a little bit more obvious to people that they're spending more every time they go to the grocery store, I don't think we're there yet.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it, some we know some of the price action is also revolved around— the supply chain, and now with uh, you know this latest variant, and you know varying degrees, different countries are dealing with it. Do you think that the supply chain problems linger further out into next year than we anticipate?
2: I would imagine that they're going to. It seems like there's going to be more. Um to be more pressure to vaccine mandate more people, and there'll probably be, you know more groups of people that splinter away from that for whatever reason, and there'll be some kind of a labor reset, um, you know, in the middle. But I would imagine that until all of that gets sorted out, um, and the world hopefully lands on the right side of having vaccine passports, mm-hmm. um, I don't see any change in the supply chain disruptions at all. I mean, I'm not an expert at it, and I certainly didn't see them coming. So. Yeah don't don't look at me for the, to be the one to say that they're going to go away either. I just feel like a lot of the things um you know that you read about in the in the trucker markets, in the rail markets, in the cargo markets, it still sounds like they've got a, they've got plenty of issues to deal with.
0: Yeah. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
1: You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to Lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com.
0: Welcome back to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Let's jump back in and hear the day's top analysis. Yeah, and uh, you know we and we know China really hasn't changed their policy of of zero tolerance, so uh, that that's going to be critical as we look look for certainly the you know trade shipments that come from there. It's very interesting. I actually uh, did an interview with Jason Sue uh, from Raylian, who's a, a China watcher, a China expert, and he had a lot of really interesting things to say about their economy, how they're grappling with this. He thinks they're going to do more to support it. We saw that interest rate hike for the first time in I think it was 20 months. Um, they seem like they're finally stepping on the gas. we also had a really interesting conversation about uh, China's um, approach to blockchain and crypto. Let's have a listen to what he had to say.
1: Uh, when they sort of outlaw. Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrency it's also because they recognize that uh, um, you know, cryptocurrency is one way uh, to basically launder money outside of China right So if you have illegal gains that you haven't paid taxes on and you want to leave the country with that, you know buying some Bitcoin and then leaving the country, uh, you can then liquidate your Bitcoin overseas. So them shutting that down is really think of it as a big anti-money laundering uh, initiative rather than some kind of anti-blockchain technology initiative.
0: As I said, really interesting, wide-ranging conversation about China, including the Evergrande situation, the forecast for Chinese growth, um, and investing directly in Chinese stocks. Uh, And... um we we pushed back on some of it, too. And it was a really, really sort of interesting conversation. So I encourage you to check it out. That drops tomorrow uh, and is available on all tiers. Um, so, Tony, w- you, w- one thing that's really interesting, and the second part of Angela's question I'll get back to, but several others have as well, is what's going to what's happen to Bitcoin? Um, I, I know this is something that you were sort of, you know, dipping your toe in and taking a look at this year um how are you feeling about that especially as we look into 2022
2: um yeah that's a very a good question i i try to i try to figure it out myself maggie to be quite honest with you and um i have to say that i, I you know first thing i try to do is is make my clients aware that i'm sort of playing um I, i'm i'm my risk in Bitcoin is a fraction of the risk that I'm willing to take in the equity markets, right? Mm-hmm. Just to sort of put me on a range of, you know, how big is the gun that I'm shooting in the Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency markets? It's not very big at all, and nor could it affect any of these markets. It's just the way that I look at it as something, if I'm learning how to trade something, I've got to play with smaller chips, right? Yeah. So I'm doing that. And the 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 dynamic that strikes me in Bitcoin is that there are shades of you know there's shades of bubble um, criteria all over the place, right? So that's important to keep an eye on. There are shades of sort of people not being able to latch on to the value proposition in cryptocurrency. And to me, the the only value proposition that I see is that Bitcoin is a better inflation hedge than gold and probably a safer currency than a lot of options that we have out there. And Ethereum has got the ability to build on top of it, right, like a programmable currency. Mm -hmm. So I just look at it as the basics like that. And with everybody that's in these markets that's saying that they're going to go up and go up forever, it makes it easier for me to make sales as a tactical trader. Mm -hmm. So I want to continue to, you know, sort of read inflation in the markets. I'm going to look at cryptocurrency as sort of a lever bet on risk assets and trade them accordingly and when the environment looks great for risk assets i'm probably going to be long a little bit more cryptocurrency than i usually am and when people are high-fiving each other in cryptocurrency like when paul tudor jones is on endorsing cryptocurrency over gold or when they're naming you know the miami arena after the crypto exchange and things like that it makes it much easier for me to make sales because in cryptocurrency there is a entire legion of participants that have no intention of selling, right? So this is a very different dynamic than any security I've ever entered. Even in the dot-com era, you know, it was about, you know, buy your stock, make your money, and find the next one, you know? And here it's all about, I've got this one thing on, I'm right, and I'm never gonna sell, and it's gonna be my path to wealth, Mm -hmm. right? And I've never seen anybody ride a magic carpet to wealth like that, so I'm happy to make sales when it gets away from the moving averages on the upside. And try to buy it back when it's, you know into the moving averages on the downside and support levels. So I'm trading it super tactically. I don't have any kind of a crystal ball at all. Um, you know, there's a chance that I'll be flat Bitcoin from a trading perspective several times next year during the year. You know, mm-hmm. so for me, it is legitimately something that I like to get into and get out of when the chart lines up with the narrative in my head.
0: yeah, makes sense. and and you're and you're really looking at it. Uh, trading in tandem with risk risk assets, it sounds like.
2: Yeah, I mean, if there's an S and P spill of five, six, seven, eight hundred points, you can bet cryptocurrency is going to get rearranged at some level. You know, I think that it, it's uh, you know, especially when it looks now like it's on a technical precipice a little bit. Where if it breaks down below, you know, forty five k with uh, with with a lot of enthusiasm, it looks like it can keep going right to thirty k. Which is the last consolidation bottom that we saw. So I'm trying to just keep this all. The beautiful thing that I, I that my my comfort zone in Bitcoin is that I don't care. Mm. Meaning meaning I don't care if it goes to a million. I don't care if it's around forever. I don't care if they close it up tomorrow and say no more Bitcoin, everybody. So being able to trade it from a position of I am in it as a tra- tactical trade, and if they shut off that pinball machine, I'll go. Put my quarters in the other pinball machine and have no problem with it. So it's not something that I'm emotionally attached to in any way. It's just another ticker out there that I can take risk in.
0: I, I love your analogies today. Um, we got magic carpet and pinball machines. Um, and and, <laughs> and I think everybody can get their head uh, directly around that because it kind of feels like uh like being in the arcade right now with yeah. some of this stuff. You you mentioned um, I think you mentioned earlier very quickly something about nuclear. We have a question. Um, from Ralph, uh, what's your current view on uranium?
2: I'm bullish. You know, and I'm bullish and patient. It, it's it's uh, you know the uranium trade is sort of an ESG fail trade for me, which is you know as we push carbon neutral, et cetera, et cetera, pivot more and more to solar and wind, um, be abruptly and abundantly disappointed in their ability to generate real baseload power. Um, and then finally, we'll push the pol- uh, excuse me push the political pendulum back. There's some nice alliteration for you today, Maggie. We'll be able to push that pendulum back to something sensible in terms of energy policy. And so, when that pendulum swings all the way to the point that God forbid, people are freezing in Europe and have a wake up call and say, "There's no wind and solar getting us through this winter." maybe we'll swing back to the middle and say you know uranium is a viable play and it's still sitting here right it's got all kinds of socio political and cultural um sort of black marks against it given its um you know sort of tattered past of accidents and and things like that but you know the ability to remove nuclear waste is 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 a very strong ability like we can remove nuclear waste now there's no barrier to removing nuclear waste. We know how to do it. We've become experts in it over the years. And I think that's going to make it all the more palatable when you can talk about something that can actually generate a lot of baseload power for you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think it's a play worth being in. It's definitely a play worth studying along the way. Most importantly, even if you're not in it, I would suggest knowing what the physical situation is in uranium and that we operate at a slight deficit and who the mines are like Cameco, et cetera, et cetera. And just kind of having a base level understanding of who the players are in case it does turn into one of our major power generation sources there'll be a whole brand new sector that will be you know bright eyed and bushy tailed and jumping out of the gym that we can trade so i'm looking at it that way
0: anything else as as we close out is there is there something or a part of the market that you're really thinking about as you're looking ahead to 2022 i know you were getting your you know kind of year ahead notes together anything that we should be that should be on our radar
2: yeah, I mean, put it this way, the, the if you step back and look at the chart as, as stressed out as it feels when the S&P pulls back into support levels, you know, and as much fear porn gets posted on Zero Hedge when we pull back, you look back a couple of hours later and stocks are off the lows and they're bouncing from moving averages, and I don't see how you can't be optimistic about this market after its performance that we just witnessed and commented on almost every week for a year. You know I mean it, it, the price action speaks for itself. I'm a last sale bro. Last sale kind of speaks for itself. and going into next year i'm I'm expecting more volatility. but I'm kind of looking at a lot of the same plays, Maggie for for the setup. I'm looking at the energy sector really closely. I've been in and out of home builders from the long side about four times this year, and I'm gonna keep going with that trick until I get burned because I still think that in a we're in a secular bull market for home builders and expansion into the suburbs and home offices and home gyms and, you know, work from work remotely, et cetera. So I think that that stuff is really in the first couple of innings rather than later innings. And I think that those are the plays that I'm going to look at for next year. And, and God forbid technology shows that it can perform in a market where maybe rates aren't racing higher. I'm going to see if I can get myself into the software and cloud storage and cybersecurity sectors as well, given the opportunity. So I'm really open-minded going into next year with a similar game plan as I've had this year, and maybe just kind of expecting a little more volatility. And all that does is trade my trading, po- excuse me, soften my trading posture a little bit.
0: Fantastic. And and as you said, the homebuilders, uh, Tony, we had rents for single-family homes up eleven percent, three times what they were last year. Vacancies at a twenty-five year low. So.
2: hard to get your hands on.
0: There you go. Underscore that. Tony, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for all that great information. If we don't talk to you, have a fantastic holiday and we'll see you on the other side.
2: Same to you and your family, Maggie. God bless. God bless all of our uh, Real Vision subscribers. And thank you all so much for listening.
0: Awesome. And thanks for the great questions today. Alf is going to be here tomorrow with Darius Dale. Um, as we head out today, I am going to leave you with some thoughts from Raoul on the re- new Real Vision Pro Crypto product.
3: You know, I'm still totally blown away by the response to the Crypto Pro product. We knew it was going to be a good one, and that we all needed it. I didn't realize it was going to be this big. And look, I'm really honored to have you as part of this journey. If you're not part of it yet, by December 23rd, as I said in the last video, is the nft option and the extra discounted earlier doctor pricing disappear so look if you want to be involved now's your chance because that nft gives you a say in the future of the web3 vision for real vision and that's really important to me i want the community to help us build this out and we need people like you that comes with crypto insiders and pro crypto tier so look that NFT is your gateway to the future of Real Vision, and you can help us. And uh, you know, I think community is the most important thing, as I've been drumming home to everybody. So, look, don't miss that chance. And also, don't miss the early bird pricing, the early adopters. You guys matter to us. It's been selling like hotcakes, ridiculous. Why are we doing this? And what is it? Really, what it is, is we needed a product in crypto that was a grown up deep dive, intelligent understanding of the space. Because it's not just about charts and price action, it's about truly understanding where we can make money, how we can make money, and where the future lies. What products are great, what projects are not good, what we should avoid. The knowledge you need here is exponential, and so we need the best people in the world to do it. That's what Delphi are all about. They partnered with us to help all of you, me included, to get up to speed on what's really going on and how best to capitalize these opportunities. And really, the product is like Macro Insiders, where we do it for the macro community, all of you investing in various things. And now we include crypto in that, but this is much more in depth. This is like people who really want to know and really want to do it. And it's the same kind of product, numerous things, deep dives, infocuses, videos, the whole suite, including discourse channels. Delphi are really putting their resources behind this, got 70 plus analysts. Anyway, just remember. December 23rd, this is your last chance. That NFT is your gateway, your golden ticket to many things that will be revealed in due course and also being part of this journey. So, look, I can't wait to have you as part of this and have a fantastic Christmas. Happy holidays and happy new year.